Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. I'm back from Washington, D.C. Had a busy couple of days there with the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Washington Watch event. I'm going to follow up today and the next couple of days on uh, some of the things uh, that I learned while there and that we heard people we talked to, including Ambassador Dowd, our chief ag negotiator, certainly Secretary Purdue, and EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. Had an interesting session with him yesterday talking about WOTUS and talking about RFS waivers. I asked him about the criteria he uses for granting these waivers, and you'll hear his answer here in just a bit. He's under a lot of pressure, got a lot of controversy swirling around him. Couldn't really tell it uh, being around him yesterday. He was calm and relaxed, uh, but his answers, uh, well, a lot of people, especially in the renewable fuels industry, not uh, agreeing with them, not accepting what he has to say, including some uh, Republican senators. So we'll get into all that coming up in our next segment. And in fact, Uh, Later in the program, some reaction to that, I'm sure some strong reaction to Administrator Pruitt's actions and words from Bob Deneen, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. He'll be joining us as well. Planting rolls on, and uh, Ken McCauley from Northeast Kansas will be joining us later in the program for a planting update for his area. But right now, we welcome Catherine Boudreau with Politico, joins us to talk Farm Bill. Thank you, Catherine, for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Well, all this going on, I see, I just saw where it looks like, and by the way, the chairman of the House Ag Committee, Mike uh, Conaway, will be on with us tomorrow, so I'll get more on this, but uh, Mm -hmm. I'm seeing that it looks like they're going to bring the bill to the floor, what, in a couple weeks, recess next week, and then come back after that, and it would be on the floor, is that what you're hearing? Um, yeah, I think it's it's all kind of up in the air. That is, I'm hearing mumblings about that. I know that the chairman has said that he wants to get the farm bill to the floor soon after the recess, which is next week. Um, and he did mention, too, that the House is preparing to debate the National Defense Authorization Act. Um, so, I mean, that sets the annual budget for the Defense Department and military policy. So House committees are working on that right now. So the House also has that on their agenda. So it's it's a matter of carving out that floor time. And also he has to make sure he has enough votes uh, to pass the bill. I know he wants to make sure he has enough support before he actually brings it to the to the floor. So I think he's still whipping those. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of uh, conversations going on about that right now as he tries to get those votes. And we'll ask him about that coming up tomorrow. Well, meanwhile, we've seen a quote today from uh, Colin Peterson, ranking member of the House Agriculture Committee. He's talking with farm broadcasters in Washington, D.C., and uh, he's saying he's not recommending uh, uh, a bunch of amendments from Democrats, he says, because this bill is not fixable, in his opinion. Yeah, I think that there is a little chance that Democrats are going to be able to come around to the bill, so uh, this is largely going to be passed uh, on party lines, just like it was out of the committee, uh, from all Republican votes, potentially. Um, so that's that's a heavy lift, I think, for Chairman Conaway. And, um, you know, Republicans control 236 seats, and there's some vacancies. So, you know, I think he always says he's got to get to 218 um, is really what his goal is. 
And meanwhile, we're starting now to hear some things coming out of the Senate as well from Ranking Member Stabenow as well as Chairman Roberts. And uh, uh, I guess at this point, we really don't have a timetable on when they might release their bill. Right. I talked to both Chairman uh, Pat Roberts on the Senate Ag Committee and uh, Ranking Member Debbie Stabenow yesterday uh, when, uh, following a hearing where Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue was testifying. Uh, and they told reporters that they're very close to reaching consensus on the bill, that there's no major hiccups or disagreements. It's just a matter of, you know, selling it, I think, to their members, working out some last-minute uh, maybe challenges, or not last-minute, but just, you know, some final details, and also just ensuring it, it falls within the budget parameters. I mean, they, the committees don't have any new spending to work with. They have to fall within the baseline, which is basically how much the bill is projected to spend over 10 years. They have to stay within those parameters. Yeah, big difference between the House and the Senate big because of the uh, uh, big divide right now between Chairman Conaway and Ranking Member Peterson on the House side does not seem to be that uh, uh, that issue between Chairman Roberts and Ranking Member Stabenow on the Senate side. They seem to be more in agreement on that Senate side. So we'll see how that plays out. We're talking with Catherine Boudreaux with Politico. Uh, interesting, uh, Secretary Purdue, uh, before Congress yesterday, he's certainly hearing uh, for members of Congress, their uneasiness about Trump uh, administration trade policies. Yeah, that was the main focus of the hearing that I went to yesterday. Senator after senator was pressing him about the president's trade agenda and how much not only the president's public statements, but they just have so much, his public statements have so much impact on um, the markets and that actually impacts real farmers and ranchers and uh, the prices that they sell their, their products for. So there were a lot of um, urging of caution and careful consideration and also um, urging Secretary Tribute to have a perhaps moderating influence on the president. But the secretary also, uh, he's, he's consistently walked a fine line. You know, on one hand, he's reassuring the agriculture industry that, you know, the president understands the, how important trade is to your business, and uh, at, but also we have to be tough on our trading partners because we want to make sure that the playing field is level. So he was telling senators that he's encouraging the president to, um, you know, negotiate with China, for example, and potentially avoid uh, these, you know, billions in tariffs that are currently being threatened by both countries right now. I call Secretary Purdue the comforter-in-chief. His job seems to be to go around and try to <laughs> calm everybody rope. down. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's a tough job because, uh, I mean, he, he's acknowledged uh, agriculture's concerns and why understands why they are concerned, but he's also trying to reassure them that it's all going to be all right. And that, that, that is a tough job. He seems to be the, the right guy for that job, though. Well, especially because, I mean, so, you know, we just saw China – impose those trade res- that trade restriction on sorghum. So, I mean, this isn't all just, you know, smoke and mirrors. There is actual consequences uh, that will happen unless the U.S. and China can uh, reach some agreement or deal that, you know, to the present present satisfaction, although it's always challenging to know exactly what the president is looking for. And we keep hearing we're getting close to a NAFTA deal. What are you hearing? Yeah, NAFTA is, um, I, I think that all of the, you know, negotiators are, are sending, you know, positive signals that they're, they're close. Um, but, you know, I have to say that the, with all the farm bill uh, madness, I would defer to my trade, my uh, trade experts <laughs> at Politico to give the exact timing. 
so much going on. All right, Catherine, thank you very much. Always good to talk with you. You too. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Catherine Boudreaux, she writes for Politico's Morning Agriculture. All right, coming up next, uh, comments from EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. He's on the hot seat for a lot of different things right now, but from an ag standpoint, it's very much around RFS waivers. Now, he did have some uh, an update on waters of the U.S. There he has support of agriculture and in repealing the old uh, rule and coming up with a new one. We'll get an update from Administrator Pruitt on that, but then we'll get into the RFS waiver issue because I asked him what criteria he's using because it doesn't seem uh, one that uh, many people can understand, at least in the renewable fuel side of things. And I also asked him if he's getting any White House input and guidance on this. Those answers coming up next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Fastline.com is changing the equipment buying game. Fastline has just released its newest feature, the price comparison tool. The price comparison tool is the first of its kind in the ag equipment market. It's designed to help quickly compare equipment by price, make, and model. Using the price comparison tool, you can see if an item is below, above, or right at average price for similar equipment. Use this game changer right now at FastLine.com. I live alone, so when I slipped and fell in the kitchen last month and couldn't get to a phone, that's when I knew I needed Life Alert. With just one press of this button, I'm connected to the Life Alert Center, where I can get the help I need, even when I cannot reach a phone. With Life Alert, I'm never alone. For a free Life Alert brochure, call 800-981-2126. That's 800-981-2126. Call now at 800-981-2126 to get a free brochure. Around 3500 B.C., someone used basic tools and slabs of wood to invent the wheel. Genius. In 1879, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Genius. In 1899, a Norwegian with degrees in electronics, science, and mathematics invented the paperclip. Genius. There's genius, and then there's pure genius. At BASF, that's what drove us to develop Ingenia Herbicide, our most advanced dicamba formulation ever for dicamba-tolerant cotton and soybeans. It gives you a low-volatility solution at the lowest dicamba use rate ever offered providing an additional site of action to outsmart the toughest weeds, even the glyphosate-resistant ones. Grow smart with Ingenia Herbicide from BASF, a flexible solution that's pure genius. Talk to your representative today. Learn more at IngeniaHerbicide.com. BASF, we create chemistry. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA-restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label directions. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. 
And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free Endless Pool Idea Kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. I tell you, yesterday, as I was sitting very near Administrator, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt during a, a press gathering with the National Association of Farm Broadcasting, just to watch him, you would never know he's uh, surrounded in controversy and questions about whether or not he'll even keep his job. But he seemed very calm and answered a lot of questions, and uh, a lot of them had to do with the RFS. But he also gave an update on waters of the U.S., and uh, this is a, certainly, from an agriculture standpoint, a positive that they're getting rid of that old rule and working on a new one. And he gave us an update on where they're at with WOTUS. That is something that we've been working on since February. As you recall, the president issued an executive order uh, February 28th of last year directing the EPA to take steps to, uh, to evaluate recension uh, of that particular rule. And we began within eight minutes of him issuing that executive order, actually put into the marketplace uh, rulemaking documents to start that process, and we've been hard at it. Two or three things we're doing with respect to WOTUS. One is a, is a proposed recension, which is a withdrawal of the 2015 rule. And the reason we did it that way is because I believed it was very, very important to uh, let folks know across the country that the 2015 rule was not going to spring back into existence, you know, that it was so abusive. Uh, inconsistent with the, 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 the Clean Water Act's authority that we didn't want landowners across the country rule is going to spring back into existence. And so, you know, when you define a, a dry creek bed and a puddle and a femoral drainage ditch as a water of the United States, that should tell you a lot. In the marketplace to withdraw the 2015 rule, and that began in earnest. And then we've got something that, that, that a lot of folks aren't talking about, which is a replacement. Uh, a substitute definition of what a water of the United States will be uh, going forward. And that, that's extremely important because, again, to enhance and to, to provide confidence to the American people that we are acting consistent with our authority in the Clean Water Act, uh, we need to provide a solid definition in that regard. And so that proposed rule will be coming out likely next month, uh, May, June timeframe, and we will be done with that process prayerfully by the end of the year. Uh, with respect to the replacement definition. And what I would like to tell you about that is that our proposal is going to be inspired by Justice Scalia in the Rapanos decision. That was actually part of that February 28th uh, executive order that the president signed. Um, and, and what I mean inspired, I mean, Justice Scalia had a lot of questions, a lot of uh, analysis in the Rapanos case about what a water of the United States is or should be and versus what it, would, what, what it isn't. And we're going to you know learn from that and make informed decisions about uh, – uh, what a water of the United States is. Now, to give you an example about this situation, I was in Salt Lake City last year uh, touring a, an area, a subdivision that was being built um, there in Salt Lake City, and I was with an Army Corps of Engineers representative, and this Army Corps of Engineers representative pointed to an ephemeral drainage ditch um, uh, there in Salt Lake City, and the subdiv subdivision said, that's a water of the United States. And, uh, and, and I said, well, I don't think it's going to be any more, you know, based upon our, our, our approach. So, uh, this is, you know, federal jurisdiction, state jurisdiction, uh, the Clean Water Act's oversight and, and, uh, and, and authority 
need to be clearly defined because we don't want landowners, whether it's farmers and ranchers, those who are building subdivisions, oil and gas. I mean, all land use decisions were impacted by that definition in 2015. And it made the EPA and the federal government the first stop for permission to use your land. Uh, that clearly is inconsistent uh, with the objectives of the Clean Water Act, and we're going to get that fixed in, in 2018. EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. Now, a lot of support in agriculture for what he just uh, outlined there. Remember, that was a huge issue in the presidential campaign and election, and uh, uh, really that was an issue that the farmers focused on in their support of President Trump. And uh, so that process continues. As he said, uh, we should see that new uh, proposed rule uh, either in May or or perhaps June, May, June time period, he said, then takes the rest of the year to go through that process. So anxious to see what's in that rule, the new rule. But uh, again, a lot of support for getting rid of that old WOTUS rule and, and moving on. So there was an update on that. Now the part uh, that the, he's in a lot of controversy in many ag circles, and that is over the granting of these waivers to the Renewable Fuels Standard. And analysis of EPA data by the Renewable Fuels Association shows in the last few years uh, these waivers have cost at least 1.6 billion gallons, that's with a B, 1.6 billion gallons of biofuels in lost blending obligations under the RFS. I asked Administrator Pruitt yesterday, what is the criteria he's using for granting these waivers? How does he make these decisions? The small refinery exemption, uh, you said it well. I mean, it's, it's not subjective in nature. It's objective, and it's, and it's, it's on a facility-by-facility facility basis. So even if you're a parent company, and let's say you have, and I'm just saying this hypothetical, let's say you have 10 facilities across the country, you know, whether you qualify for that small refinery exemption is not based upon the, the uh, um, uh, compiling of all the information from 10. It's facility-by-facility. Uh, and it's 75,000 gallons or less uh, that's, that's produced um, uh, that, that triggers whether they can even apply. So, um, you know, we had 24, I think, as I recall, uh, applications in 2017, which related back to 2016, uh, a few more this year that relate to the 2017 window. But we are constrained. I mean, we have a statutory criteria by which we have to make those decisions. We have to look at the, the economic challenges. And, oh, by the way, DOE is involved in that. Department of Energy is involved in that. And what's happened historically uh, that has not worked well is that DOE and the EPA have not been um, uh, working together and collaboratively. We have, and that's uh, we use their data, uh, and we make informed decisions based upon their data, and it's objectively and statutorily driven. And uh, if if the if the criteria met, uh, then we have the authority to grant. If the criteria aren't met, uh, we don't. So it's I, I think there's been a little bit of. Uh, um, concern or perspective that perhaps that we are engaged in a subjective analysis and that, that it's a matter of policy that we're engaging in the granting of these exemptions and that's just simply not the case. Are you getting any guidance or input from the White House on that? Well look, I mean we, we work very closely with, uh, with uh, NEC and, and uh, many folks at the White House on those issues. I mean uh, the President does empower you know, both Sonny and myself and Rick to make decisions each within our, our space. I mean what we're doing is interagency making sure that we're collaborating and working together to make informed decisions about whether the the uh, applications should be met or not you know what's uh, and i think that's important i think that's been missed the last several years and and i think uh, rick would uh, rick perry would echo that administrator scott pruitt okay so a lot there uh, 
basically he's saying he's just following the statutes. He's following the requirements. It's not something he's doing on his own. He's not creating policy. He's just following the rules that he has been given. Now, many people disagree with that. Our next guest, Bob Deneen, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, I'm, uh, I would imagine will uh, let you know how he disagrees with that. Certainly, a number of Republican senators have raised objections to how EPA is interpreting this and going and, and granting these waivers. Interesting, I thought, that he kept pointing out that he is working closely with, has a good relationship with uh, Secretary Purdue. But just a few minutes before... We heard from Administrator Pruitt yesterday at USDA. Farm broadcasters heard from Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, and he said that these waivers stretch his definition of hardship. In other words, he was questioning these waivers and had concerns about them as well. So uh, Administrator Pruitt may say he's working closely with Sonny Perdue, but uh, Sonny Perdue has his own questions about this as well. Um, interesting that uh, Secretary Purdue did say yesterday, he told us that uh, the president is close to authorizing that E-15 waiver to allow E-15 sales year-round. There, there's another meeting coming up on that very, very soon. Um, the question on RENs, um, Administrator Pruitt was asked about that yesterday. He really did not give uh, all that much of a definitive answer on that, other than you know they're still looking at that, discussing that. And that uh, so that kind of remains up in the air as well. But uh, when you see these numbers, and again, as we pointed out, this new analysis from the Renewable Fuels Association showing that these waivers have cost at least 1.6 billion gallons of biofuels and blending obligations, uh, you see the concern here because Administrator Pruitt talks about yeah we we set that level of the um, you know the RVOs at the 15 billion like the statute called for. But it's not really $15 billion if you're losing all these gallons to these waivers. I also thought it was interesting the way he looks at it. Um, you know, we, we've heard the sto- uh, these stories such, you know, Refinery X is granted uh, a waiver. They are owned by some big oil company that makes billions of dollars. And people say, uh, then how in the world could there be a hardship? And as you heard Administrator Pruitt say, said, uh, say he looks at it as just that one individual refinery. He doesn't look at the if they're part of a bigger ownership, part of a chain, or, or part of a bigger group. He's just saying that he looks at each one individually. So there's a lot in there. And again, that is the uh, that's the answer. That's the explanation given by Administrator Scott Pruitt. But a lot of people disagree with what he is saying. And one of those is Bob Deneen, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. He will join us next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache. Or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented MyPillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual regardless of sleep position. MyPillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota. I have a 10-year warranty. 
and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right. Get four my pillows, two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four my pillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to MyPillow.com and at checkout, use promo code FARM11. Good morning. Here's a livestock and grain update on Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by the American Ag Network. The grain and oilseed complex higher this Wednesday morning, despite the renewed strength of the U.S. dollar. Soybeans leading the way, followed by winter wheat and then corn. Other commodity sectors mixed as well. July corn is up three and a half at three ninety-three and a half. July beans are up seven and a half at ten forty-one and a half. July wheat in Chicago is up five and a half at four eighty-nine and three quarters. In Kansas City, July wheat is at five nineteen. That's up seven. And in Minneapolis, July wheat is up four and a quarter at six oh three. On the livestock side, livestock markets are mixed thanks to a combination of residual selling and pre-cash short taking. Lean hog contracts are also checked by follow-through selling and midweek profit taking. June live cattle up 25 at 105.30. May feeder cattle up 57 at 140.72. Lean hogs for June down 27 at 74.55. And July lean hogs down 17 at 77.82. Cash cattle, the country's off to a slow start this morning without even token bids on the table yet, but we expect packer inquiry to start improving as the day progresses. The South has posted some asking prices of around $125 on a live basis. Meanwhile, live hogs, they're also opening higher. Zombrota, Minnesota is up $2 at $37 this hour. The outside markets, the Dow is down 155 points. The NASDAQ is down 62. The June crude oil trade is up 13 cents. That's a market update from the American Ag Network for Adams on Agriculture. This is the American Ag Network. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter bankruptcy or divorce it just doesn't matter as a matter of fact your job is your ticket to your new vehicle we're auto credit express and we've helped thousands of people just like you antonio h told us great company got me connected and the day i went in i drove off in the car i wanted 100 percent worth your time need a car get started now and drive off as early as today just go to 11 ignoremyscore.com right now that's www.11ignoremyscore.com auto financing the easy way 11 ignoremyscore.com get started today auto financing the easy way information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams all right welcome back so you've heard from epa administrator scott pruitt on this rfs waiver issue let's hear now from bob deneen president and ceo of the renewable fuels association bob thanks for being with us i know you've been under the weather hope you're feeling better oh i'll be fine anything gets me fired up like uh 
uh, talking about uh, EPA Administrative Pruitt, that's for sure. All right. So I ask him about his what criteria he's using. How does he come to these decisions? And basically, he said, "I'm just following the statute. I'm not making this up on my own. It's there for me. I've got the guidelines. I just follow them." What's your reaction? Your response to that? Well, it's just utter nonsense. This this uh, notion of his that it's uh, just an objective analysis. No, he is applying a subjective uh, assessment of hardship. And he's essentially decided that uh, the only thing that matters is whether or not you qualify as a small refinery if you are producing uh, less than 75,000 barrels per day. That's that's the only objective analysis that he's applying. Other than that, uh, apparently now you don't have to demonstrate that there's an economic hardship that is caused by the renewable fuel standard. And he's just ignoring that element of it. And in doing so, he is demonstrably undermining the president's objective of growing the ethanol industry, of uh, maintaining some fidelity to the, to the statute, and assuring a 15-billion-gallon market. Uh, Scott Pruitt, in ignoring the, the law, uh, far from enforcing it, by ignoring the fact that he's going to have a demonstration of economic hardship, he has destructed uh, more than a billion gallons of ethanol demand in 2017 and 523 million gallons of demand in 2016, and Lord knows how many billions of gallons in 2018. It has got to stop. Yeah, when he sat there and told us yesterday, he he was saying, "Hey, we we restored that uh, you know that level to 15 billion," and and he was uh, saying, "Look what we've done." But it's not 15 billion if you keep granting these waivers. That's exactly right. I mean, that's that's why it's so cynical what he's done. You know, he told the president last November, "We have finalized an RVO of 15 billion gallons, Mr. President." EPA held up your your uh, promise to rural America. But before the ink was even dry on that final rulemaking, it became open season on these small refinery exemptions. And waiting until after the RBO was signed allowed him uh, to uh, not have to reallocate those gallons. Had he provided small refinery exemptions before the finalization, those gallons would have been reallocated elsewhere and there would have been no negative impact on ethanol. That's what had been done in the past. But the timing of what he's done and ignoring the an, any kind of an economic hardship demonstration uh, and then trying to hide behind confidential business information so they don't have to show the world that they've asked for no economic hardship demonstration is an incredibly cynical and destructive effort on the part of the EPA Administrator Pruitt. We're talking with Bob Deneen, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. So the president finds himself uh, in the middle of growing pressure on both sides uh, on this issue. And certainly um, some strong uh, Republican senators have spoken out on this as well. I mentioned earlier that Secretary Purdue even said that these uh, waivers stretch his definition of hardship. So he's uh, questioning these as well. Um, we know the administration keeps talking about trying to find a win-win in this. Where do you think we're headed on this, Bob? Well, 
I don't know because there's been mixed signals coming from the administration. But I'll tell you this, one win has already been granted. The refineries have already been given their win because they've destructed more than a billion gallons of demand for 2017 and likely even more for 2018. It's about time for the administration to give the ethanol industry and farmers across this country that have invested in biofuel production uh, a win. You know, not that granting a one-pound waiver, which is what we've been asking for, to allow the year-round use of E15 is going to make up for a loss of a billion gallons of demand, but it would at least send a signal that President Trump and his administration is not completely abandoning uh, rural America. He needs to do that now. And uh, Scott Pruitt says yesterday, oh, this is not a policy call, it's a legal call. That's utter nonsense, too. How, how long do you have to read the statute before you recognize, oh, yeah, Congress gave us the statutory authority to do this? They have the authority. They need to do it. They need to stop vacillating. They need to stop undermining the president's commitment to rural America for a strong and robust 15 billion gallon RFS. I know the the White House hears these uh, senators talking about this, but I just wonder. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday with Administrator Pruitt. Uh, the way it takes forever to get anything done in Congress, it's almost like he's saying, I can wait them out even if they object to what I'm doing. Well, I mean, I don't really see much happening on Capitol Hill. Uh, they couldn't agree uh, to name a post office these days, much less tackle something as controversial as the nation's renewable energy policy. Uh, this clearly is something that EPA should be doing. It is consistent with the president's uh, regulatory agenda, removing regulations that uh, do not have any impact on consumers or the environment and just get in the way of, of business. Uh, the RVP waiver clearly falls into that category. Uh, again, Administrator Pruitt has certainly uh, provided the oil industry with all kinds of regulatory relief in the 14 months that he has been in office, uh, and he's not lifted a finger to try to remove some of the regulatory barriers uh, from increasing ethanol use. Um, you know, I understand he's from Oklahoma, and he wants to run for office from there, and Oklahoma is a very oil-centric state, but right now he's representing all of America, including rural America, and he's working for a president who has made it perfectly clear that he wants to see the renewable energy industry grow, that he wants a 15 billion gallon RFS, and he wants to remove regulatory barriers uh, that impede its growth. It's about time for Scott Pruitt uh, to uh, listen to his president, to consumers across this country, uh, and to farmers that uh, want to see uh, greater uh, domestic energy use, cleaner domestic energy use, not less. Again, uh, Secretary Purdue told us yesterday he feels the president is close to authorizing uh, the E-15 waiver to allow sales year-round. Are you concerned that along with that, though, will, there will be that <laughs> that other shoe to, to, to drop, well, RENCAP or something else uh, to give, what the, again, using the White House's uh, terminology here, a win for the oil industry? I am concerned about it because, I mean, the president... He's a fair guy, and he's 
he has in his head, if I'm going to do something for this constituency, I've got to do something for that constituency if they're fighting. What I don't believe that the president fully appreciates, because Scott Pruitt most certainly isn't telling him, is that he's been giving a win to the refiners, uh, not just with all these small refinery exemptions, but with uh, a refinery that went to bankruptcy and they forgave uh, 329 million gallons of RFS obligation there. Scott Pruitt has also ignored a court-ordered remand of the 2016 RVO in which the court said you need to reallocate 500 million gallons. In total, when you look at all of what he's done, you're talking about more than 2 billion gallons of RFS demand destruction over two years. So, I'm sorry, the refiners have gotten their win. It's time again uh, for ethanol and farmers across this country to get something. Secretary Purdue said there'll be another meeting coming up on this uh, soon, kind of referring to a White House meeting. Have you heard anything? Has there been any invitation uh, uh, given to the renewable fuels industry about being part of that meeting? No, I suspect what uh, Secretary Purdue is talking about is a intergovernmental meeting in which uh, EPA and DOE and and USDA will meet once again with the White House. Um, They've sort of kicked the industry out of the room, and and that's fine. I I think there have been more than enough meetings on this. It's time for some action, uh, but the action needs to be to get Scott Pruitt to stop uh, the uh, giveaway to refiners and to start uh, leveling the playing field uh, with some regulatory reform uh, for ethanol that would um, begin to rebalance things and give market opportunities to farmers. Hey, on a, a brighter note, Japan opening up to ethanol, uh, still got, we still got to go in there and get that market, but at, at least the door is open. What do you see as the potential there? Well, it, in, indeed, it is uh, a potential market. I do think you'll see U.S. ethanol now being used in the production of ETBE and ether that is the gasoline additive that is used in that country. I think it's uh, frankly foolish for Japan to require that a perfectly good octane enhancer and oxygenate ethanol have to be converted into an ether in order to be used there. And we're still going to work with Japan to try to get direct ethanol blending as opposed to ETBE into the country. But it's a good first step, and it does reflect the fact that uh, worldwide, there's an octane shortage. Worldwide, there ought to be growing demand for ethanol. Ethanol is the lowest cost, uh, highest octane fuel additive on the market. And if we have uh, free and fair opportunities to compete, uh, we will do so quite effectively. All right, Bob, thanks as always. Take care, get to feeling better, and we'll talk again soon, all right? Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Take care. Bob Deneen, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Coming up next, we're going to get a planting update. Ken McCauley joins us from Northeast Kansas. Stay with us on AOA Adams on Agriculture. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. 
simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heart for a mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. In 1847, Hanson Crockett Gregory invented the donut. Genius. In 1908, Melita Bentz invented the paper coffee filter. Genius. In 1928, Otto Frederick Rowetter invented sliced bread. Genius. In 1930, Ruth Wakefield invented the chocolate chip cookie. Mmm, genius. There's genius, and then there's pure genius. At BASF, that's what drove us to develop Ingenia Herbicide our most advanced dicamba formulation ever for dicamba-tolerant cotton and soybeans. It gives you a low-volatility solution at the lowest dicamba use rate ever offered, providing an additional site of action to outsmart the toughest weeds, even the glyphosate-resistant ones. Grow smart with Ingenia Herbicide from BASF, a flexible solution that's pure genius. Talk to your representative today. Learn more at IngeniaHerbicide.com. BASF, we create chemistry. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA-restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label directions. All right, guys. We're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no. We'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Fastline.com is changing the equipment buying game. Fastline has just released its newest feature, the price comparison tool. The price comparison tool is the first of its kind in the ag equipment market. It's designed to help quickly compare equipment by price, make, and model. 
Using the price comparison tool, you can see if an item is below, above, or right at average price for similar equipment. Use this game changer right now at FastLine.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. We're proud of our new affiliates. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. All right. We hope to get a planning update from Kim McCauley in Northeast Kansas. I want to point out another issue. We touched on this yesterday. We were talking with Chris Galen with the National Milk Producers Federation. And this is the uh, the issue. The EU and Mexico have agreed on a trade deal. And it would seem that this would allow Mexico or Mexico is going to enact these restrictions on the use of uh, some of the common cheese names like Parmesan, for instance, or or, or Munster. Uh, this is a, a dispute between the U.S. and EU for some time, EU wanting to restrict those, the U.S. saying, hey, these are common names. Well, Mexico appears to be buying in with what the EU is saying. So this is a real, real concern for the U.S. dairy industry. And coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk with Tom Vilsack. He is the president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, of course, former Secretary of Agriculture. And he is going to give us uh, the very latest on this and the impact this would have on the U.S dairy industry so we will be um, focusing in on that tomorrow with tom vilsack and also tomorrow the very latest on this farm bill issue with the chairman of the house agriculture committee mike conaway i want to find out from him his strategy uh taking this to the floor here in a couple weeks of the house uh what they're doing to get the votes uh how he reacts to comments from ranking member peterson saying this bill is not fixable so we've got a couple big issues that we're going to get into tomorrow here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. So hope you'll tune in. All right, now we do have Ken McCauley with us uh, from Northeast Kansas. Ken, how are you? Morning, Mike. It's good to good to hear you back on the air. Thank you very much. So uh, things are rolling in your area. In fact, you got a lot done, I hear. Well, we've we've got a lot done. All right, I'd say the whole area is is ahead of the national average for sure. But there's quite a few guys that are finishing up. Uh, we got a rain, still having a rain, which everybody was ready for. So uh, we got one more day of corn planting on our farm left, and uh, it just we didn't really go at it very hard. It just seemed to happen. But uh, one of those conditions were just perfect. We decided, and a lot of guys here decided to chance it on the cold temperatures, and we'll <laughs> we'll see how that goes down the road. Uh, what kind of uh, population we get? But well, you couldn't beat the soil conditions that we had. Yeah, because it started getting later and later, uh, the concerns over soil temperature kind of put those aside. When you got the window, you had to go. When did you actually get started, Ken? We started, uh, I think it was like 10 days ago. I can't remember the exact date, but it was it was, it was was a week ago Thursday. So it, it's, we had, a, you know, I had, had really good luck. Uh, you know, there's, 
once the first guy starts, it's pretty hard to hold everybody back, and that's that's what it was. Murray just told me that 12th is where, when we started, and that was <laughs> – we went through some 20-degree, you know, nights there last week. So it, <laughs> it was kind of iffy, but it, we just still went in. Now, what about beans? Are, is anyone planting beans in your area? Well, my famous brother, Bill, has already planted a field, and there's – I mean, we'll we'll probably get after it next week. I think that's what a lot of guys have. And all the conversations you hear now, you know, plant the beans a little earlier. And I think that really makes sense this year where we're going to have a, a shorter growing, growing season the way it looks. So uh, there's just been a lot of talk on, you know, you've had the guys and a lot of, lot of Twitter talk about plant them a little earlier. So I'm pretty sure everybody's going to get after it next week for sure. I had that conversation, in fact, with an Illinois farmer this morning, and he was. we were talking about that very thing. They had good luck with early planted beans last year, and uh, that seems to be the kind of the feel now. That's the way to go. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, personally, I'd like to see it stay in May just for our own benefits of having a little bit of time because if everybody starts doing this in March or early April, it's it just that much more you got to do. So it's not... Probably not the best way to look at it, but it it sure looks like that's what guys are thinking. What's your weed situation look like as it's starting to warm up now? Well, planting yesterday, I saw a few breaks. We've got, we had a fall program on and, and going to corn. We, we'll wait a while on that. But uh, Brad said we were going to start uh, doing the dicamba deal early, like next week ahead of planting, and that would might even get us by because the fields look really clean uh, Put a put a residual on with the dicamba, and it might just hold. Uh, that's sure what we're hoping for. Mm-hmm. So, even as it, it, I always say, it felt later than it was, but it's later than a lot of you like to get out there. I know, but uh, it seems like once that window opened, as you said, the conditions were were pretty good. A little on the cool side when you first started, but all in all, the conditions have been pretty good for getting that seed in. Well, you've been around about as long as me, Mike, and it's much better to do it this way than have muddy conditions in cold and wet. You know that, and mm-hmm. most most guys are seasoned enough to know how that works, so this could change pretty quick. It doesn't look like it's going to, but when your soil conditions are right and you know it's going to warm up eventually is, is the attitude the, the guys that I've talked to are, are looking at. Did, uh, did you, on your farm, and... and the neighbors around you, for the most part, kind of stick with your normal uh, rotations, or was there uh, a plan to go to more beans this year in your area? I think most guys stuck with their rotation. I, I mean, if you had more corn and was was thinking to uh, you know get that back to fifty fifty or or closer, I think that played into it, and you know maybe a few more acres that way. I we've been moving towards fifty fifty for the last couple of years, and I think that was a that's a big factor in, in more bean acres uh, here. But you talk to the guys in the corn belt, and I think they were moving they were moving to a few more acres of beans, getting closer to 50-50 also. Well, Ken, glad to hear things are going well. Of course, they always go well in your area, right? I mean, you're in that garden spot. Well, Mike, you know, you got to be positive. You just don't hear about the bad things that happen to me. I just don't. <laughs> you don't want to dwell on the negatives, but it's sure good you're good talking to you and i gotta say there's still a few guys here that that aren't and for you know their own personal reasons some guys just try to stretch it out so you gotta you gotta talk about that also all right ken good to talk with you again thanks a lot take care thank you mike
Ken McCauley with a planting update from Northeast Kansas. All right. Thanks for joining us today. Had a busy show. Um, Always appreciate hearing from you. Mike Adams at AmericanAgNetwork.com on email or at MikeAdamsAg on Twitter. Tomorrow, again, Tom Vilsack and Chairman Conaway join us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day.